Hello, everybody, and welcome back for episode 27 of Lady in Black. I'm Danielle. And I'm McKenna. So it is officially Halloween, which means it is finally time for us to discuss the Dumas brothel. I'm I'm so ready. <sighs> I'm nervous, but I'm excited. I think I'm just more excited. Like I'm That's fair. I'm so excited to finally talk about it because we've wanted to for forever, but we couldn't. Yeah. I mean, we could have pushed the episode, done it sooner, but I didn't want to. Because I was like, fuck, Halloween, perfect time. <laughs> yeah, but like even with each other, like I wanted to talk to you about it, but we really we didn't, didn't. know because we wanted to keep it kind of fresh so that we would remember everything and kind of get some genuine reactions. Because I think probably both of us had some experiences in there that we didn't vocalize to the other person when we were inside of the building. Absolutely. So without further ado, we're going to go into the history of this place because neither one of us learned really anything of the history of this building before we went in and investigated it. No. I am one of those people that kind of prefers to investigate blind. And this was your first like official investigation. Yes, it was. So I made you go in blind as well. So now we're going to talk about some things and that might trigger (laughs) some memories. So we're going to travel back in time. It is the 1870s and a group of women referred to as ladies of the line are selling sexual services on Park Street in the northern district of Butte, Montana. Tents and shacks line the streets um, where these women are servicing minors and other men of Butte. And quickly, the women began being called the Park Street Girls. So fast forward to the mid-1880s. Dance halls, gambling houses, and saloons begin to pop up all over the city. And by 1888, East Galena Street was officially lined with brothels, to the point that nearly every single building housed prostitution. Every single building? Nearly. That's Nearly. insane. So this red light district was soon referred to as the Twilight Zone. And prominent men of Montana, including Butte Mayor and U.S. Senator Lee Mantle and businessman Anton M. Holter, found themselves the owners of these establishments. So these were not just owned by, like... Just like some local person. Not necessarily. Well, they're, they were owned by local people, but like they were not owned by like sketchy people yeah. <laughs> necessarily. They were owned by people with a lot of money and status. Yeah. The status part is crazy. Yes. So in walk two French Canadian brothers, Joseph and Arthur Nadio. These two men quickly acquired most of the properties in the red light district, but they started with one. In 1890, at 45 East Mercury Street, the Dumas brothel was built, and it was named after Joseph's wife, uh, Delia, whose maiden name was Dumas. By the early 1900s, Butte held three high-class brothels, the Hotel Victoria, Windsor Hotel, and the Dumas brothel, which was also referred to as the Dumas Hotel. So a lot of the history of the Dumas brothel is murky. Given the time period and the type of work that was done within the building, it doesn't surprise me. 
No, it doesn't surprise me either. No. At all. Like, we're going to talk about one story that has been pretty successfully buried in Butte later on today. So there are records that indicate the two of the early boarders at at Dumas listed their jobs as gambler and saloon man in census records. So in the 1900s, early 1900s, the brothel was occupied by Madame Grace McGinnis, her servant, a Chinese cook, and four prostitutes. The cost of sex was about 50 cents, which would have been $17.67 today. And the girls were given 40% of that amount, so about 20 cents or $7.07 today. That is crazy. It's not a lot of money. At all. So in 1902, Madame McGinnis had five prostitutes and a musician in her employment. And although she only had five, the brothel could have handled a lot more and eventually did. So 1903, business is booming. So they decided to expand. So in enters the crib rooms. And these small rooms were basically cubicles inside of the basement of the brothel. And this is where the girls would service their guests. So the guests did have several points of entry into the brothel. Um, Most used the back door, which led onto what was called Pleasant Alley. And that was the busiest part of the red light district. But there was also a side entrance with a staircase leading from the front sidewalk into the basement. So... Dumas operated 24 hours a day with several girls taking three shifts. So it was a 24-hour operation. And by 1910, there were only two women reported to actually be living inside of the brothel. Most of the prostitutes lived in other parts of Pleasant Alley and then um, just like went to the brothel for their shifts, essentially. So generally in Butte, prostitution was restricted to Galena and Mercury Streets, and the girls would be in the windows, typically partially nude. And the Butte Miner, which is the local newspaper, wrote an article, and in it they said, quote, With an abandon that has no trace of modesty in it, these women lean out of their windows and addressed the vilest kind of language imaginable to people passing on the street or else boldly make their appearance on the thoroughfare and visit from one crib to another. Yeah. Yikes. (laughs) So the Dumas's business and those like it were criticized by a lot of people who wanted to reform the red light district. One of those was Reverend William um, Biderwolf, who condemned Butte as, quote, the lowest sinkhole of vice in the West. And that he saw, quote, enough legitimate vice in Butte to damn the souls of every young man and young woman in it. That is, wow. Yes. So Butte's history as a whole is fascinating. There's a lot to it. There is so much history there. Um, Like, I know everybody kind of jokes about Butte, but, like, it's a really interesting place. But most people in Butte did not hold these same beliefs because these sex workers were supporting the entire economy. 
The whole thing? Yes. So the miners would make their money in the mines. Then they would pay the girls who would then have to buy dresses at local dress shops. They would have to frequent the dry cleaners. They would go to Chinese herbalists looking for birth control potions and venereal disease remedies, so like STD remedies. And to make sure that they could keep working without raids, without getting arrested, things like that, they would pay off the city's police and governance um, a $5 fine all the time. Wow. So these girls were the economy of Butte. Yeah, they were keeping everything going. Yes, 100%. So instead of closing and or like moving the red light district, the mayor and police of Butte um, ordered that the women wear longer skirts and high-necked blouses and that they refrain from any indecent exposures in public. So after these were put in place, the Butte Miner reported that, quote, nothing was seen in the district except long dresses and long faces. What the women say about them uh, about the matter is not fit for publications. They were fucking pissed. Well, yeah, <laughs> I mean, pissed. rightfully so. So by 1910, people were petitioning, petitioning the mayor to shut down the district completely. But with the district contributing about $2,000 to the city's um, economy every month, the efforts died. So essentially, if they would have shut this down, Butte would have died. All of Butte would have died. Mm -hmm. Like, there is no way around it. They were supporting the entire town. Yeah. So 1913, the brothels expanded. And... A one-story structure was added to the building, which increased the number of cribs by eight. And four of the added cribs opened directly onto Pleasant Alley, which was now being referred to as Venus Alley. So when copper prices went up, um, more than 14,000 miners in the city experienced a pay raise of 25 cents, which um, injected an additional $6,000 into Butte's economy. That is crazy how that happens. Yeah. Yeah. These girls held this town (laughs) on their backs. Yeah. For a long time. Yeah. So the Dumas also experienced increased um, patronage, I guess. And they decided that they would add five partitions and a staircase in 1916. And the grand floor which was once a huge parlor, was partitioned into cribs. That's why there's all those little rooms when you walk down the hallway. That one big hallway. Mm-hmm. Okay. So with World War I and the Prohibition, um, local lawmakers decided to initiate a crackdown on Butte's red light district. So by 1917, the district was essentially closed, and there was signs saying men under 21 keep out, Um, And in the next census, prostitution disappeared as a declared profession in Butte. However, the Dumas remained in operation. It remained like the only one, basically. Yeah. That's crazy. (laughs) Yes. So in 1925, Anne Valet began overseeing the Dumas for the original family. And in the 1930s, operations were passed to Madame Rose Davis. So in 1940, Lillian Walden and her husband, Dick, began to run the brothel, and they raised the price of sex in the brothel to $2. 
So from 50 cents to two bucks. That's a pretty steep increase. Yes. So three years later, the U.S. government ordered ordered all brothels shut down to prevent the spread of STDs among soldiers in World War II. And in response, Dumas was like, "Mm, no, we're just going to be a little quieter about it and say that we're a boarding house. A boarding house? Yes. No. Yes. So the window shopping was abandoned completely. And a heavy steel door was installed at the back of the Dumas with a small sliding window. So customers would only gain entrance after the sliding window was opened and their identity was acknowledged. So rather than just being able to walk in and mill around and look at the girls, you had to like go through security now. Yeah, you had to go through security first to get in this place. So they also added doorbells and a code system for dealing with um, troublesome guests. That's intense. Yeah. So when Lillian Walden retired in 1950, the price for service at the brothel was now $5. And then the brothel's operations went to Eleanor Knott. So at this time, the Nadeaus decided to cease being owners of the brothel. And Knott's management at the brothel was incredibly short. Because in 1955, she committed suicide after her lover died of a heart attack. So she was found dead in her room after she heard that her lover had died as well. So when the late 1960s came, several local police officers were taking the initiative to close the three operating high-class sex houses. So... At this point, it was the Hotel Victoria, the Windsor Hotel, and the Dumas. They were still going. But the Dumas did not stay closed for long because its next madam, Bonita Farron, operated it from 1955 until she died from cancer in 1969. That's a pretty good, that's a pretty good run. Yes. So in 1970, the Dumas was actually listed on the National Register of Historic Places as a, quote, Victorian brothel and as an active house of prostitution. So by the following year, Ruby Garrett. Ruby Garrett shows up and she has been living in Butte for like 30 years and she purchases the brothel. And she decided that she would just pay local police officers and officials $200 to $3 a month or $300 a month in return for their silence about the Dumas activities. So under Garrett, the cost of a prostitute was $20. And she actually kind of came into some financial difficulties and other things because she was charged with tax evasion in 1981 which led to Dumas finally closing its doors in 1982, 65 years after Montana outlawed prostitution. 65 years? Mm Mm-hmm. That is so long. So long. I mean, it wrote it out through prohibition. It wrote it out through, like, the state outlawing prostitution. Like, it just kept, just kept riding that is insane like the amount of work that it took to avoid all of those and be open through all of that shit yes and 
not only did it survive 65 years after it was illegal, but it is also the longest operating brothel in United States history because it operated for 92 years. Oh my God, 92 years? Mm-hmm. Good Lord, that is forever. 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 I can't eat, like, it doesn't sound like a lot, but like, it. that is so long. No, nobody, no other brothels. Most brothels were opened for short periods of time, like. Before they got shut down. They got shut down and then they didn't just like try to stay open. They were just like, well, fuck, we're done. So it's impressive that so many people stepped up to the plate to keep it open. Yeah, I mean, the amount of work that it took, I know I said this before, but like all of the political things that went into keeping that place open, crazy. 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 So um, Ruby spent six months in prison for tax evasion, and she sold Dumas to an antiquities dealer named uh, Rudy... Guy Keck, I think is what it is. Um, and it was, she sold it to him on one condition that it would be prever- preserved in its original state. She was like, you cannot fucking change it. Gotta stay as it it's is. Gotta stay as it is. So um, Rudy turned the brothel into a museum and he operated it as a museum um, for most of the 1990s. But in 1998, he entered. Um, encountered some financial difficulties and decided to try to sell the building. And the International Sex Worker Foundation for Art, Culture, and Education responded because they wanted to buy it and reopen the Dumas as not only a museum, but also as a gallery and convention center because of its history with sex work. Wow. Yeah. No. Yeah. And... This name should ring a nice little bell for you. Ellen Balmer. Yes. She got her hands in here. <laughs> she got her little hands in there. Okay. Um, And she was like used the fact that she worked for the National Register of Historic Places to write in support of this rescue of Dumas. She was like, fuck yes. She do, was this. Like, do this. Absolutely. And she said, quote, It is not only significant that the last standing parlor house in this area of Butte, but also because of its length of operation as a rare, intact commentary on social history. She's not fucking wrong. No, not a single thing in that is wrong. Yeah. So some people were kind of against um, the restoration of Dumas, and it actually did include some former prostitutes in Butte, but they continued along anyway. Until September of 2000, when Guy Kick claimed that the um, International Sex Worker Foundation for Art, Culture, and Education owed him $52,000 in wages for work performed at the Dumas. Um, he sued and he was granted the wages he petitioned for and for additional penalties. So the business deal with them was terminated. And in the years that followed, the Dumas was put up for auction twice because he did not have the money to maintain the building. It's a big building. It is. It Yeah, it's a lot it's of space. It's a big building. <laughs> a lot so, of space in there. Yes. So in late May of 2005, um, Guy Kick was 
escorting a New York Times reporter through the Dumas for an interview when he found that there was a place that had been broken into. So he was low on funds. He was getting older. So he was a little worried about his health. And he um, shut it down. And it had originally been operating on $5 tours. You pay five bucks and go tour this place. So after the robbery, he discovered dismantled beds, stolen antique lamps and artwork, um, emptied glass cases full of brothel artifacts, as well as a missing rare sex toy. I don't want to know what that is. (laughs) The wheels in my head that are spinning right now, I don't want to talk about it, but like, I kind of want to know what that means, but I don't. I'm just going to move on. Okay. Um. So in June of 2012, the Dumas was sold to the new owners, and it was local Michael Peach and Travis um, Eskelson. Um, by this time, however, the building was in disrepair. Um, there was water damage. There was a collapsed wall, and the um, roof was no longer structurally sound. It's in rough shape at that point. Rough shape. So... The new owners, they decided that they wanted to have um, summer tours for $8 in the following year, but their ultimate, ultimate goal was to turn the Dumas into a bed and breakfast, which knowing what we know, I'm just like, no, no, no. Yeah, I'm like, please don't do that. Please don't don't do that. that. Um, So they were quoted, uh, Michael was quoted saying, it needs to be around, it needs to be here for the rest of the community and the people who want to visit it. And in late 2013, they sought a loan from the local urban uh, revitalization body in Butte. They requested $92,000 with an additional $8,750 grant. Um, I don't know if they got it. I couldn't find out if they got it or not. But um, it is now owned by new owners who we interacted with. So obviously we went there, which means we got some history that is not necessarily in the history books. Um, The current owners um, and some of their, they have kind of like people that help them out um, with the history. They are actively trying to dig up dirt on this place, basically. So um, the new owners, um, his name's David, and he sent out um, one of his, I guess, kind of employees. I don't. They're not. They're not really his employees. They're kind of like his friends. Yeah, I mean, they don't really feel like employees. No. So he sent out um, this guy named Addison to talk to us and let us into this glorious building. And one of the stories that Addison told us is that um, what made Dumas so profitable was not necessarily just because it was a higher class, because they did have higher class girls on that top floor than the other girls were in the basement. Um, but it was so popular because if you wanted it, you could get it. Yeah. Yeah. Which we'll get into some of the darker stuff, um, to kind of explain that there was, well, no, we'll just talk about it now. There was a lot of, a lot of abuse of these girls by men. There was murder. There was sexual assault. Kind of all of it. All of it. Mm-hmm. All of that bad stuff. Um, this was not like a glamorous, nice job. Um, it was probably better if you were on the top floor. 
not that great in the bottom. And another thing that these girls were going to have to worry about was pregnancy. So in walks Gertie Buchanan. So Gertie is well-known in Butte. She isn't necessarily liked. Um, They've tried pretty hard to bury her story, um, but luckily we now know Gertie's story. At least part of it. Part of it. So Gertie had a business called Gertie's Babies. Um, As I said, she was a local woman and she would perform abortions for the sex workers in the brothels. Mind you, at the time, these were usually opium-induced abortions. Um, And at the time, if a sex worker became pregnant, she had two options. Get an abortion and keep working, which is going to pay for you to live. Or you lost your job, carried your baby till term, and then probably had to go back um, to work right after you had your baby. So... She went to court a few times. All charges were dropped, um, but she went to court for some botched abortions, so she was not good at it. And she decided that one thing that would really help her financially and those around her financially was if... (sighs) This is so fucked up. Um, So... Okay. I, like, don't know how to get into this because it's so fucked up. But Gertie decided that when a woman would go to full term and she would be called to do the delivery, when the baby came out, she would act like something was wrong with it. She would ask, like, act like it was stillborn. She would rush the baby away, give it to a pimp who would take it out the door and sell it on the black market for about $500, sometimes with the placenta still attached. No. And they, everybody kind of knew what Gertie did there. And there are between 15 and 17 confirmed babies that were sold out of the back door of Dumas on the black market. But that does not include the rest of the brothels that she worked at. And the owners believe that the number of um, babies sold out of Dumas is actually closer to 30 but they're still actively working on digging up these records. So Addison told us that he actually had one of Gertie's babies come through on a tour. And he lived across town his entire life, lived in Butte his whole life, and found out that his actual mother was a brothel worker in Dumas Brothel. So Luckily, he was given a very wonderful life. Um, He was one of the very, very few babies that was given a good life. Um, And when he found out, he found out that his mother was told that he was stillborn. So she does not not know that he exists. Yeah, she has no idea. She thought that he didn't make it through it. And that's going to be like impossible to trace. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, no traceability on that whatsoever. Yeah. So the current history of Dumas that I have just shared with you is literally just scratching the fucking surface. There is so much and they are still digging to find more out about this place. Um, And they do find more constantly. Um, So next year, when we go back, we're going to go back. We're going to do a little bit of a deeper investigation. We can only get in there 
in the warmer months, uh, Montana's cold as fuck and uh, they don't have heat in the building. So we are limited till like next summer, <laughs> but we're going to go back, do more of an investigation and then hopefully have some more history that's been uncovered. Yeah, I'm sure there will be at least more bits and pieces for sure of history that they get. 100%. If not something pretty shocking that a lot I of mean, people don't currently know about. Yeah, but like that Gertie, Gertie's situation is really shocking. It is. But I feel like there's more shock factors to it, unfortunately, that are like yeah. that. Yeah. Like, I don't feel like that's the only one. No, probably. I mean, definitely not. Um, so without further ado... Let's dive into the ghosts. Okay. <laughs> so the stories of the paranormal at Dumas are literally endless. Endless. It, like I I truly feel like every single person who has walked through that front door has wound up experiencing something. Yeah. And if you don't notice it right then and there, you realize it later. Yep. That you absolutely experienced something. Something. And there's an employee. Her name is Rachel. And she reported that... One night during a tour, she was given a business card of a psychic. And right after everybody left, she kept hearing noises throughout the building. So she was like, fuck, somebody from the tour is still in here. Couldn't find anybody. Nobody else was in the building. So she locked up. She left for the night. And when she came back in the next morning to open up, the place was a mess. But not in like disarray. The hats that were usually hung on the walls, were on the floor, and were lined up and down the hallway. Pictures that were on the walls were now laying on the floor. They weren't, like, broken. So it looked like someone picked them up and set them on the floor. And interior doors that had been shut and locked were wide open. That is crazy. Right? But I mean, like... The weird thing is nothing was destroyed. No. Nope. It just clearly wanted Rachel to know that it was there. That something is there. So a lot of people report seeing shadow figures, um, apparitions, orbs, a smoky mist, hearing constant noises. You fucking name it. And while the entire fucking building is haunted, the basement seems to be kind of the worst for a lot of people. And the basement is where most of the girls and their patrons spent their time. So some other reports are a woman crying, seeing things moving, but with no external force. So like you walk by a room and something is like swaying back and forth. But there's no, nobody else was in there. There's no drafts. Like, it's just moving on its own. Yeah, there's no explanation for it. Yeah. So people are also regularly followed home by spirits, which we will talk about a little later. Um, and one psychic that visited woke up in the middle of the night after leaving to see a woman It is exactly like the painting of Bonita sitting at the end of her bed. No way. And when she kind of reached out towards her, she disappeared. She was just gone after that? Mm Mm-hmm. So on a tour, a group watched a latched door 
unlatch itself. Which just, no. People will often smell the strong aroma of cigar smoke, especially on the first floor. Um, People have been touched um, both positively and negatively, I guess kind of positively. Um, People have like had their hands held by a small unseen hand. Um, They believe it is the ghost of Sandra, who was a prostitute from France, but nobody really knows. Um, They've also just been like gently touched. Like if somebody is just like walking by you and they kind of like put their hand on you to like scooch by. So it's like not bad. But people have also been pushed. They've been poked. They have been thrown. Yeah, a lot of nastier things. They have been scratched and they have received rashes. So there is a photo um, by an investigator that captured a male entity wearing a minor outfit, including the bandana. Wow. That's I want to get my hands on it. Yeah. That's a lot of detail. I know. Um, so near the basement door that leads to the tunnels that ran through the red light district, a- another investigator caught a photo of two apparitions, a male and a female entity. And the male is standing on the right looking down at the female and she has kind of a large hairstyle and is like wearing a hat or something like that. So apparently some of the female entities in the basement might not realize that they're no longer working in a brothel because in the basement um, there have been um, men getting touched kind of inappropriately. And um, they have caught a female entity on camera. um, And there have been two EVPs of a female entity in the basement um, agreeing with something that the investigator said about politicians that was like negative. Which if you think about it, those girls had to constantly pay off those politicians. They would have fucking hated them. That's true. They would have absolutely despised politicians. Not to mention they probably serviced a lot of them too. Oh, absolutely. So these men would come in there and pay them for sex and then turn around and be like, that's disgusting. And bash them. Yes. So also there is um, reportedly the entity of Eleanor Knott. She's still around. And literally immediately after she died, um, the, pr- the prostitutes and staff at the brothel saw her walking in the hallways carrying her suitcase. Like she was leaving. Like she was just... But they would see her all the time. That's crazy. Um, so she also seems to be very protective of the building and is protective of the others that are there. And she can kind of lead them, it sounds like. They, they think that she's kind of in charge. And one, one example of her is when Rudy was the owner, um, the Dumas Brothel Museum was broken into by three kids. So they grabbed some of the antique, um, like some stuff from like the antique slash photo shop um, in one of the first floor rooms. And they started up the staircase to the second floor to get some of the antiques and they stopped in their tracks by an avalanche of flying China dishes. 
So they just turned around and they ran the fuck out of there. But they think that because Eleanor died on the second floor, that's where she would have been the most time, that she probably led the others to be like, fuck you. Yeah, like send a message. Yeah. So there's also an entity named Sarah. And she became very active after the new owners, well, not the new owners, but the last owners um, began their restoration and renovation in 2013 because they started in the basement. And that's where she's at. So she was probably upset um, along with other spirits in the building that there was new people in their house and that there was work being done. Um, They were messing with the cribs. They were scrutinizing personal objects that were found in there sometimes. You know, like you see something like, hey, get a load of this. Like, you know, they were when they went into the basement, they basically opened a time capsule. Most of the stuff in that basement is stuff they found. Oh, I unsealed that. Yes. When they unsealed those cribs. All that stuff was just down there. It's basically completely filled with trigger objects. Like I'm sure they've added some stuff for sure, but there's still some things down there that they found down there. Yeah. Yeah. Those are absolutely trigger objects that work for sure. Yes. So they know for a fact that something of hers that had, that was like unsealed 20 years ago when they were doing this is now basically an environmental trigger, which is now causing her to be more restless than the others. And her paranormal activity experienced by Michael and Travis scared the shit out of them because they were not used to the paranormal at all. And that's when things started to fucking spiral under their ownership, which if you think about it, one of the number one things that can trigger paranormal activity in a location is renovation. Is renovation and restorations. You are shaking things up. So it is literally one of those places that has every single type of haunting in the book. Like every fucking thing imaginable can happen to you inside of this building. Like right before we left, I was getting a tattoo and I was sitting there telling my tattoo artist like, yo, I'm going to Dumas, like blah, blah, blah. And the tattoo artist next to her that owns the shop, she's from Butte. And she was like, good luck. And I was yeah. like, fuck. You told me that on the way there and I turned pale white and I was like, what have I gotten myself into? So to kind of compare and contrast our experiences with somebody else's, because I don't really know anybody that's been willing to go inside of this building. Um, I watched the Ghost Adventures episode. <laughs> so I was going to watch both episodes, but I didn't care. So I just watched the Ghost Adventures Extra Pulses. So season five, episode 11, if you want to watch it, it was $3 on Prime. So they do meet with the old owner, Michael. Um, They interview him and he has since passed away. And I am not going to go into specifics because there is a lot to it. And I personally don't feel comfortable like airing somebody's story or whatever. Um, But I will say that Michael not only purchased the Dumas brothel, but he also accidentally purchased the original owner's home in town for his residence and he was deeply 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 connected to dumas and its history um that's all i'm gonna say his story is really sad and i want to be respectful of him and his family and not get into the ins and outs of the entire situation um but 
he is the person that they meet with for this episode. So they are talking about how people get violated, people get pushed, people get thrown. They're talking about how people will get attacked inside of this building. And they discuss an older man who resides in the basement. And Michael says he's afraid of him and he does not go down there and that the man does not like him. So they discuss how people have literally ran out of this place and vomited in the streets from what they've experienced. That's a crazy feeling that a building can make you feel like that. Mm-hmm. So they also discuss Sarah um, and they talk about the fact that Sarah was actually pregnant. She got pregnant from one of her clients. He was a regular and they have a framed love letter from him to her in the building. And unfortunately, Sarah never got her happy ending. Her lover was a minor and he died in the mines. And the very next day she committed suicide in her room. That is so sad. Yeah. So sad. So in one of the top floor rooms, there is a female presence and she feels like it's her room. She does not like people being up there in her room. So they're up there and Zach starts feeling a burning on his neck. They shine a light on it and he has a blotchy red mark literally appearing on camera. It's getting bigger as they're shining their lights on it. And he says it feels like a rash and it looks like a rash. Absolutely, 100%. It looks like a rash. So they also talk about the fact that people change when they go inside. They become slightly different than who they are on the outside. So prime example is Michael's friend, Jeannie. She's She's got to be fucking psychic. I'm just going to say it. She is pinpointing where certain spirits are. She knew that Zach got like marked on his neck bef- like and nobody fucking told her yeah, nobody she didn't told her know anything. and she like said something about like he like he got you or something and, and he's like well and he starts to turn she's like yeah on the back of your neck or like on your neck or something and i'm like this bitch is fucking psychic are you shitting me she has to be she's psychic yeah she has to be a little bit for sure um so they decide to take her upstairs to do like an evp session and she's physically changing you can see it in her eyes. Yeah, the whole time. She keeps her eyes keep switching from like the person that was downstairs to like something a little different. Yeah, which something is really else. unsettling. And they are up there and during the EVP session, Zach's like, Why don't you like me? And they get a voice that clear as day responds, I just don't. Just, just don't, don't like you, man. Just don't. And we're gonna circle back to that specific voice in part two as well. So the investigation, they decide to bring several girls dressed in like brothel attire and set them in different rooms on the beds. And they set up static night vision cameras in each room pointed at each girl. And Zach speaks over a walkie talkie system, tells the spirits, basically, you can do whatever you want to these girls. Trying to see if they can trigger something. And one of the girls almost immediately, her name is McKinley starts hearing somebody walking down the basement steps towards her. And you can hear it on camera. You can. And he goes down with a spirit box. They get a young girl's voice saying, thank you. And then they get a male voice saying, I found you. And I can see you. 
And then the same male voice says again after they ask what its name is, I'm Otto. And almost all of those are pretty darn clear. Yeah. Like watching it, you can hear almost exactly what they think it's saying. Yep. Especially the I'm Otto. Especially the I'm Otto and the I found you. Yeah. Even the like I can see you is still pretty. It's still pretty gross. Yes. Um, So while Zach is down with McKinley doing this spirit box session, it's just the two of them down there. There's another girl sitting in a room and they get a weird light that flashes on a chair right next to her. And it's it's weird. It looks weird. It's like a line that just like it's like a lightning bolt, basically, but straight. So they tell Zach, grabs an SLS camera, leaves poor McKinley alone in the room and um, is going up there. And as he's heading up there, the guy's at base camp. So the rest of his crew is noticing that all of the girls are starting to act kind of weird. Yeah, they're all getting a little... They're getting a little... Jumpy almost. Not necessarily... Like, they're getting a little weird. Like, one of them is just, like, just staring without blinking into the camera. Like, when they first got in there, they were all kind of, like, interacting in a little bit. They're like, you can come sit next to me. Like, is somebody there? Like, things like that. And then they all kind of just go silent and, like, just zone the fuck out in a really weird way. Yeah, like, all of them collectively at the same time are just not really there anymore. Yeah. It's fucking weird. So, she Zach goes into the room and she's saying, like, she's super, super cold. He's like, yeah, I can see, like, you're shaking. She's, like, shivering. She's freezing. And on the SLS camera on the bed next to her, they map something. And she says, um, that's the side where it's the coldest. She's like getting full-blown goosebumps. And Zach asks if it can touch her arm. And it fucking does. And he's like, oh, my God, it's touching your arm. And she takes her other hand, touches the exact spot that the SLS camera had and said, right here. Yeah. And, and he I mean, was like, yeah. But like the second she touches that spot, it it jumps off of her. Yeah, it's gone. So they bring all the girls into the room. And so it's all four of them sitting on the bed. And they all start commenting on how cold it is in one spot. And they do get a five-degree temp drop in one specific spot. There's no drafts. So they send the girls out. And immediately on the top floor, Billy's setting up the thermal camera and he gets really lightheaded and basically loses time for a few seconds. Yeah, just like loses sense fucking of time. time gone. Just vanishes. So they send Jay into the basement to go into the crawl space. And before he heads down, they capture a weird light anomaly behind Zach. I'm not super convinced on it. I don't really know if, but I'm going to note it. So third floor, they have REM pods all over the rails and two of them go off at the exact same time. And they have a paranormal puck to device. And they ask, who is up here? And they get Debbie. Um, they ask what she misses. And she says, paper value. So most likely money. And they ask how she died. And they get found. And then they realize that they are standing right outside the door of Eleanor Knott's room. Where she was found dead. Yes. And there's some debate on if she took like a... Pl- potassium chloride injection or she took a bunch of pills and drank some whiskey but she committed suicide there and they ask her you know like what did you take and she said chloride sharp so right after this zach loses time he just starts fucking wandering around 
and he walks away from them and then they're like where the fuck is zach so they start looking for him and they're like talking they're like he's not right like something's wrong with him right now he's not acting normal and they find him in a room on the first floor sitting in a chair hunched over next to one of the beds and he just like stands up and like walks the fuck out right after they're like found him um so like what the fuck dude and he's like talking about how he's freezing and he's like being really weird and as they're talking to him a REM pod upstairs starts going off and then right as that happens Aaron says he feels like spiders are like on his ear and Zach is talking about how he's so cold he can't move so Billy runs upstairs to see what's triggering the REM pods and the second he gets up there it stops then one starts going off and it's the REM pod right above the room that Zach just lost time in so Jay is in the crawl space and he does find old clothes he finds a metal pipe wrapped in a red stained rag so he's like oh my god is it blood it's probably rust but who knows um and he does hear a noise in there and gets spooked and gets out so they very very clearly had a rough go of this yeah they had an experience for sure yes and like i said pretty much everybody that goes into the doomus brothel has an experience it's just the place for an experience it really is yep so that being said you ready to talk about our time at the dumas brothel yes i think so i'm excited i'm nerve i'm getting nervous now but i'm excited i am excited to tell you some of the things that happened that i don't think you knew about yeah i feel like you're gonna spring a couple of surprises on me 100 percent hundred percent so to kick this off we got in there probably around like 8 30 at night and we did like a lights on walkthrough just to kind of see the layout of things it's the first time i've ever been inside of the building it was the first time you've ever stepped foot inside of this building you cannot get in there unless you pay to get in there kind of situation so like not a ton of people can get in there unless they pay so we did like our little walkthrough with the lights on and was it was it when the lights were on that we were in the basement that you kind of yeah it kind of started there yeah so before we had even started really investigating we had some of our equipment out and we were wandering around the basement because everybody talks about how horrible the basement is why don't you tell them what happened to you in the basement yeah, the basement was weird for me, for sure. Um, kind of the second that I got down into the basement, I just started feeling like a little bit off, but I couldn't really, like, I didn't know why. And there was just kind of one specific room, like right as you walk in the basement, it's on your left. And it was one specific room that for some reason, I just could not look away from almost like I stood in the stood in the doorway and looked into it with like just kind of looked into it and there was just something that was like I'm like I don't know something was like you need to stand here and look into this room for some reason Mm -hmm. yeah we were walking around and I kept turning around and you were just not there anymore and you were standing in front of this room and, and I don't know why. You told me, and I don't know if you remember this, but you told me it feels like something is like attached to my stomach and is just pulling me 
towards this room. I did because there was just like this weird feeling in my stomach and it kind of just like felt like a pulling sensation. Yeah. So the minute that you vocalized it, it stopped. Yeah. Which is interesting because I am very sensitive. I have seen things. I have heard things. You name it. I would not call myself like a psychic or a medium or anything like that because I'm not that good. But like, it's very easy for me to suss something out. I felt nothing in that basement. Yeah. And that was weird. I fucking hate basements. I fucking hate basements. I fucking hate them. I was so comfortable in this basement. I could have picked one of those beds and curled up and taken the best nap of my life. And I don't like that. Yeah. And when you told me that, I was like, how? How do you feel that comfortable in this and the spot? The issue is, is that that comfort for me went the entire time we were there. I felt like I was right at home. And I told you numerous times, I was like, I'm so comfy here. Like, I'm just chilling. I feel great. And like, that is not normal. No. And I I kept kind of looking at you like, why are you saying this? How do you? I don't even feel that comfortable in my own home. Like, I cannot even describe the level of like, at ease and comfort that I felt inside of this building. And you told me that a couple of times when we were in there and I was like kind of looking at you a little side. I was like, how? What are you? What? Which the reason I don't like this is because the Dumas is one of those places that will kind of just occasionally just welcome somebody in with open arms and then just dig their claws in. So I'm not going to lie, I'm a little nervous to go back, but I am going back. I have not spent a single day since we've left Dumas without thinking of Dumas. And I need to go back because of that, because there is something. There is something in this fucking building. That makes me nervous. Yeah. I don't necessarily know... If I want you to go back next time because you didn't have as like you had a you had like more of a at first you had more of a sketchy <laughs> experience Feeling, yeah. and stuff. And like I do not want you to put like to put you in a position where you are not gonna be safe because you are so new to this. So because you spent so much time with there with me who felt so at ease. I want to give it a minute before you go back. That's fair. Yeah. I mean, obviously, I can't control what you do, but I would be curious to go in without you and see what happens. Um, so we do have some EVPs. We do. I pretty much just had a digital recorder running the entire time we were in this building to see if we picked up literally anything. And... Very, very quickly after we got into this basement and started an EVP session. And I'll put it in the podcast for you guys. I say, hi, ladies. And there is a male voice right after that says, hi, back. Absolutely, it does. You played that for me. And I was like, did that just say what I think that it said? Yep. And I'm going to drop it in here 
right now. Okay. Hi, ladies. My name is Danielle. So, yeah, that was interesting to listen back to, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so we did have an EMF meter and we had full zeros in the basement the entire time we were in the basement. And aside from you initially feeling pulled to that room and my level of calm, there's also something that I didn't tell you about. In the basement? Mm Mm-hmm. Oh, boy. So do you remember when you first walked down the stairs and you turned to look down that long hallway with the cribs mm-hmm. and there was the rock yeah, that kind of like clearly went back more? Yeah. I kept seeing a face back there in that tunnel. No, you did Portion. Repeatedly. Like over and that's over why, again? That's why I kept walking over there. And you kept walking back to the other end. It was like separating us to opposite ends of the hallway. Because I was trying to be like, are my eyes playing tricks on me? Is it like something in the in the in the like the rocks that like looks like a face? But once I would get up there, there was nothing there. So it was that's just, why you kept walking that way. Yes. Yeah, so it was literally like separating us the entire time we were down there because I was getting pulled to one end. You were getting pulled to the other end. The complete opposite end. Yeah. I didn't even notice that. That's why I kept, because you were so hyper focused on the room. And I just kept going, being like, what the fuck is going on over here? And it wouldn't happen every time I would look over there. I would just look over there. And then all of a sudden, there's a fucking face. And I was like, what? And so then I would walk back over and you would usually start walking with me. And then you'd immediately just like suddenly be back at that first room yeah i definitely felt myself like oh i should probably go with you but then it's like boom i was right back at that room yeah that's weird i didn't even notice that it was like essentially separating us Mm -hmm. i mean it didn't really click in my brain that it was separating us until i was kind of thinking back on everything that happened and i was like oh my god it was just drawing us to separate ends of the hallway Mm mm-hmm Absolutely, it was. Repeatedly. So we also did have, I have like an SLS app on my phone. I don't really think it's that great, but I will mention that it did map a figure sitting in one of the chairs in the basement. Um, And I think the temp was a little bit, if I'm remembering correctly, I think the temp dropped in that room a little bit, but unless I have an actual full-blown SLS camera, I'm not really going to let that hold much weight. Yeah. So we went back up and we told Addison, like, let's go lights out. Turn off every light in the building except for the room that he's sitting in right by that front door with the door closed. So he runs through, flips all the lights off, and then he's like, I'm going to run and get food. So I'm going to lock you guys in here. I'll be back really quick. I just haven't eaten yet today. We were like, fuck yeah, dude. Do your thing. We'll be fine. We decided to go to the third floor. And as we were walking up the stairs to the third floor after leaving the basement, there was five loud fucking bangs. Loud ass bangs. And we both just stopped 
And we were like, what the fuck? And I think both of our first thought was, was Addison knocking on the door trying to get back in? Yeah. But then I was like, he has fucking keys. Why would he be knocking? He's not knocking. And it didn't sound like it was coming from the front door. No, it didn't. And this is not a weird echoey building where you're going to think that things are happening in different locations than they are. Like if you can pretty easily pinpoint where sounds are coming from. Yeah. And we did capture those on audio. We did. We did. So I'm going to drop them right here. It's whatever that is. Yeah. Was that him? So yeah, clearly captured the bangs um it was weird it was just weird we just like froze for a few minutes and we're staring at each other like what the fuck and when i realized it wasn't the front door my first thought was the back door and then when i was reading about how they decided to use the back door when they were trying to be a little bit more discreet they would have had a bang on that back door, that metal back door. Yeah, I didn't even think about that. But there's no way somebody would have been back there. No way. You can't get back there anymore. So I don't know what that was. <laughs> I yeah, have no I idea. Don't either. And we clearly had no idea when it happened either. We were mm. like, what is that? Yeah, super confused. Um, So yeah, we still don't really have an explanation for that. I mean, it could have been... It could have been somebody that just like ran up to the building and banged on the door, but like I, it just didn't sound like it was coming from the front door. It sounded like it was basically beneath us, which we were on the stairs. So the top floor for us was probably the most active. Yes, I would say so. Um, so like I said, we did have an EMF, um, reader with us and, we were warned before we started that there was a ground wire that ran through the building that gives off really high EMFs, and he literally fucking mapped it for us. It goes from right here to right here. It is just a wire that gives off really fucking high EMFs. It is not paranormal. And we did get, we did like go up there with the EMF to test it because we'd been getting zeros in the basement the whole time. And most of the first floor, too, was zeros. Yeah. And it also kept shutting off all the fucking time for no reason and it does not have like an auto off time no it, it should and we stay trying, on until you turn it off and we were trying to figure that out we were like does this have a timer of like after this long it shuts off yeah and, and it there's was weird. it doesn't like it because we used it in virginia city mm-hmm. it doesn't just shut off on its own so that was an issue that we had um but we had some pretty insane <laughs> readings with this um, I was like reviewing back because we pulled out one of our phones because we were like, this is fucking crazy. And at one point I'm holding the EMF right over this like pink metal like box thing. I don't really know what it is. It kind of looks like a jewelry case, like something like that. I don't know. It's really, it's pretty. It's very old. We got a reading of 157 over top of that box. Which is super high. And... If we pulled back from it, it would go down. You'd get closer to it. It would go back up. 
At that point, we were already in shock because we got readings that were like 104, 140, like all of this stuff. But over that fucking little box thing, it was popping up to like 157 to 167, which is fucking insane. Yeah, that's crazy. And like we did a lot of like testing if we got a high reading to see is there a wire? Is there something like is there something going on? We spent so much fucking time trying to be like, are there wires right here? Or can you peek in that little hole in the wall and see if there's wires, McKenna? Like, <laughs> Yeah, we did a lot of that of like, where in the heck could there possibly be a wire in this building because it's so old yeah. that you never know? No. And but it was never like, we were never really it was able to clearly, find anything. It was clearly not wires. No. It was clearly not wires. And we even went downstairs and I like knocked on the door to the room that Addison was in and cracked it open. And I was like, hey. <laughs> I was like, do people get really high readings in like these two rooms? And he was like, kind of looked like what? And I was like, we were getting like 140s. And he just goes, uh, yeah, no. He goes, yeah, that's not supposed to be I was like, are there wires in there? And he's just like, nope. And then he goes, I think I know who it is. And he just kind of looked at us like it clicked. And he was Like, like, I know what's happening. Yes. So the last madam ruby garrett recently passed away how recently i can't remember exactly um like probably like 2010 and sooner i think it was even i think it's been even more recently but i don't know exactly the day um like the year but the minute that she passed away they started to get activity in her area that she stayed in pretty much like the next day and this was her this was her favorite place it was she loved it here she loved dumas she loved it so it makes perfect sense that she would want to go back then he also informed us that there's a hat in the middle of the room in that front center room right next to that box that we were getting insane readings on that was ruby garrett's hat it was i remember him telling us that and a light bulb went off So we did go back up and we were like, well, we have a name. We think we know who we're talking to. So let's just keep talking. And we didn't get any EVPs that I could find. I mean, I had to go through hours and hours worth of audio for this. Um, But I did bring a pendulum because I do really like using pendulums for spirit communication. And whenever I have used a pendulum in my entire life, It swings front to back for yes and left to right for no every time I've used it. So I pulled it out and I said, Ruby, if you're in here, can you show me yes? And it swung left to right. And I was like, can you show me no? And it swung front to back. And I remember looking at you and being like, it has never once swung those directions when I have used this. Yeah, you looked at me and you're like, this isn't normal. And I was like... And I don't know. I've been using a pendulum since like 2013. Yeah, it was. You just looked at me and your eyes were huge. And I was like, something's going on. Yeah. So as I was using the pendulum with her, we were just asking general questions, things like that. And I felt like a cold hand touch the top of my hand. Like it was resting on top of my hand that was holding the pendulum. And it kept fucking happening. And it was the weirdest sensation because we were there in the middle of summer. It was August. It was hot. 
there is no AC in this building. There is like, that's why you have to kind of get in at night because it's too hot during the day. There is no reason that there should have been anything cold on top of my hand. Yeah, anywhere. I was sweating when we were in there. I was too. It was warm. (laughs) And the rest of my body, and I was wearing like a short, like a short sleeved t-shirt and like the rest of my body was fine. It was directly on top of my hand and it felt like somebody else had placed their hand on top of mine. That's crazy. And it happened repeatedly, but only ever if we were doing a pendulum with Ruby. I think I do remember you mentioning that. And it, it yeah, was. I, I it was said it to you a couple times. During the pendulum. Um, happened. Yes. And you got touched in the basement too. Do you remember that? I don't know if I do right off the top of my head. You looked at me and you said something just brushed my arm. Oh, yes. I don't even remember what we were. We were talking about what the fuck was going on with that room that you were so drawn to. Mm-hmm. And then you lifted up your arm and you looked at me weird and you were like, did you just walk by me? And I was like, I have been standing in the same spot for a few minutes, McKenna. <laughs> like, I never know. Yeah, it definitely, I do remember now. And it just kind of like something just kind of brushed past me. It wasn't anything crazy. It wasn't anything super long. Just something like someone brushing past you and just like touches your like arm as they pass Walking you. past you and accidentally like touches you yeah. like, with like their clothing or something. Yeah. I mean, it was very quick. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so we did also get, I forgot, we got one other EVP in the basement. I was putting the recording device down and I was, I set the EMF next to it and I was asking whatever was there because I started to kind of feel something. I was asking whatever's there if it could touch the EMF and I will add that in right now. If you could just come near that little device that's right on that chair real quick so like right after i say real quick to me it sounds like a male voice said sure yeah it took me a few times of listening to it to catch it it's really quiet so i don't think it was standing next to the recorder but it sounded like there was a male that said sure really quick yeah it is pretty quick and Um, you, you might have to listen to it a couple of times yeah and I would definitely recommend listening to most of this. I should have said this at the beginning with headphones. Um, that's how I listened to the evidence. It's easier to hear it directly in your ear than like through a car stereo or something like that where you have exterior noise. Um, but yeah, so we also, I found three different clips where you have voices in the background you cannot hear what they're saying but it sounds like people talking and neither one of us noticed it and if we heard people on the street every single time we physically heard somebody on the street we said something to each because other. we knew that it was being recorded yep so i have no fucking clue what this is because we did not pick up on it at all
If you could make a tapping noise to let us know that you're here, that would be great. Could you maybe move something? Did you feel it in here last time, or was it just in here? It was just in this room. It was, I mean, not as bad as the one downstairs. So, like, in the first two, you can hear some weird something is happening in the background that neither of us acknowledged at any point in time. Like, we even called out if a car was driving by, if a dog outside barked, if there was clearly people walking down the street in front of it. Like, and this is not a busy area. This not at all. This is really shoved, like... There's empty lots on either side. Like, it's not a busy road by any means, especially at night. Um, And then in the second one, there's like a weird, either like a hinge, like a door hinge or like a really high-pitched voice or something that, again, neither of us heard. We didn't acknowledge it. No, we didn't acknowledge it at all. So we clearly didn't hear it in the moment. No, and that actually was in the basement. That portion was in the basement when you were talking about the room we were having a conversation about the room yeah yeah that's crazy yeah so it's interesting um god what else i feel like there was just a lot of little things just constantly throughout the night there was yeah and it just it also i think we should mention that when we left, it was 1 a.m. and neither of us realized it was that late. No, I did not realize that it was that late until we had gotten outside and looked at our phones and looked at the time. I didn't even really realize how late it was until we got in the fucking car to drive to Helena for the night. Yeah, I guess that's kind of when it kicked in for me a little bit. But I, I remember looking at my phone and being like, wow, it's yeah. one o'clock in the morning. Because he was kind of like, oh, like, are you guys done? Did you wrap up? And we were both like, well, not not really. <laughs> what? Like, it's still so early. No. It was not it early. It was not early. It was I like mean, it was early in the morning, but we had been there for a while. And we didn't realize it. No idea. Like, we really started investigating at about 9.30 maybe. And 1 a.m. is when we were, like, going outside. And it did. it just, even now, it doesn't feel like we were in there for that long. No. No, it doesn't. And it's not like... I don't know like it was it was just super weird how like time does not exist in that building I cannot explain it in a way that's going to make sense to literally anybody else but when you step through those doors and they close like the door and it closes behind you it's like you are just transported somewhere else until you walk back outside Absolutely it is. And it is just, it's kind of immediate too. It's immediate. You immediately just get like affected in some weird way the second you walk through the door, which is going to lead me to what happened <laughs> with the other people. So we did book it for the night, but there's a guy that does um, like a walking, like a booze tour kind of thing, like a booze ghost tour situation like a cruise type of thing yeah they like but they walk around um and we were upstairs um with ruby 
and um, I can't remember if we were, I think we were doing an EVP. We were doing an EVP session because all of our EVP session audio from our EVP with Ruby got fucked up because of this group. Yep. So, which is fine. Um, you know, they had paid for a tour as well. Um, Addison didn't even know that they were going to be there that night until they showed up. Um, he wasn't even supposed to be the person there with us that night. It was somebody else, and um, she had forgotten about it. So, um, a group of primarily men, I think they had one woman with them, came in to do a little basement thing. Like they come in with equipment, like their guide has some equipment, and they get to kind of like do a baby investigation of a bunch of haunted locations in Butte. They had a vastly, vastly different experience in this building than we did. Yes. And when they were telling it to us, it was insane compared it was insane. to what we experienced. It was insane. So they came in. They had been drinking because that's what you do on these things. And whenever you are drinking, you are not going to have as good of a guard up as you would if you were sober. If you're on any type of substance, you're not going to have as good of a guard as when you're sober. So you're going to have usually almost a heightened experience because it sees you, you're drunk, you're vulnerable, you're easy. So they went into the basement and Addison went with them. And pretty quickly, things got very negative for them. Um, It was kind of hard to understand because they were all like visibly shaken and like not feeling great. But essentially, it told them to get the fuck out. Multiple times. Multiple times. They were kind of antagonizing it a little bit. And it was done with them. Was not dealing with them at all. And whenever I investigate... I I will not provoke unless I fucking have to. And I don't like to provoke because it's rude in my opinion. Not a fan of it. I try to stay very calm, very cool, very collected. And we went back down there after they came up and were just like rattled because we were like, well, fuck, if you just pissed something off, like, let's get our asses yeah, down like there. It might change for us. Down yeah, there. like you're running out. We're running in. Thank you. And so we went straight down there. Crickets. Nothing. Nothing. Not a damn thing. Once again, I walk into this basement. I immediately feel comfy, cozy, right at home. Like I should just curl up in a bed and go to sleep. And I didn't even feel anything with the room that I had before when we went down there that time. It was nothing. Yeah. And I even tried to get a little bossy. I tried to get a little... Because like we, we like made a comment about... I was like, I heard they were being assholes to you. Like, if I need to be a fucking asshole, I can. Nothing. Nothing. Didn't give a shit. No. <laughs> crickets. Literal crickets. So we went back outside and we were like, nothing. Nothing is happening down there. And two of the guys were like, I don't want to go back in there, but we'll go back in there with you. Because my thought was like, maybe it doesn't really interact with women. Maybe it's just because their group is primarily men. Like, something is going on. And... We went back outside. We were chatting. We were trying to be like, what the fuck is going on? Like, silence down there. Like, we were telling them, like, it was, there's nothing. There's nothing down there. And they're looking at us like we're crazy. Like we're crazy. Like, we're the crazy ones. Yes. <laughs> and so one of the guys was so adamantly against going inside of there. And then suddenly on a fucking dime was like, well, I'll go back in. And me and Addison made eye contact. And Addison was just like, nope no you won't and he like looked at us and he was like do you have all of your stuff out of there like are you finished 
And I was like, yeah, like, I think we're good. We're going to go back. Like, I think, you know, at this point we can, it's one o'clock in the morning. We can just go home and review and, you know. And we're good. Yeah. It's okay. Like, I feel like we can, we can leave. And, um, that dude was so adamant that he needed to go back inside of there that Addison had to just run up and quickly run into the, like run in and grab his stuff, like lock the door on his way in, grab his shit, turn off the lights, run back out, lock the whole thing up so that this guy would not go back inside. Yeah. He was persistent about going back in after he was adamantly against it for probably a good 15, 20 minutes. Yeah. It was like a full, like switch, flip of the switch, like just... I'm not going back in there. You could never tell me that, like, I would never go back in there, blah, 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 to, like, well, I kind of feel like I have to go back in there is what he kept saying. He's like, I feel like I have to go back in. I feel like I need to go back in. And he said that a couple of times. Quite a few times. And I think that's when, like, my alarm bell started ringing. Addison's alarm bell started ringing. Even your face was like, oh, fuck. Even I was like, that's not a good idea. Yeah. And, like, their guide looked over at us like, oh, shit. So... It's not usually like a good sign. Um, one of them had also had a slight attachment situation. Yes. Um, a little girl tried to follow him out. Do you think about the Ghost Adventures episode? They did get a voice of a little girl in the basement that said, thank you. And he basically had to stand outside and tell it, like tell the spirit that it could not come home with him. It was not welcome and it needed to go back inside. Like it was not coming home with him, period. So I would be genuinely curious to have been down there with them and seen and experienced what happened to them. But I'm also curious if we would have gone in with them, if it would have been amped up or if it would have been crickets. Yeah. I'm curious to see if it would have been that amped or like you said, nothing at all. Because for us, pretty much the whole time in the basement, it was nothing. You had like your initial issue and then... After you vocalized it, you were fine. Mm-hmm. Um, and I will say though, because when we so when we got back when we got to Helena for the night, um, I looked down at my arm, and I have a tattoo on my like on my forearm that is like the triple moon goddess symbol, and right on that tattoo was a rash. And in retrospect, when we were in the basement after they had been in there, I distinctly remember feeling something right there on my arm and like rubbing it for half a second. And then we were just so confused and trying to figure things out that I forgot about it until we went back to Helena. Yeah. And then it wasn't until we got to Helena that you were like, something is off with my arm. Yeah. And I have like, I will post a picture of it um, on the Instagram, but I'm not like somebody who really gets like rashes from like like it it was it's one spot on my body one random spot and it was gone the next morning completely gone so I don't really know don't really know yeah and it was just something that you had had not mentioned at all until we had pulled into the driveway in Helena yeah so yeah. it, it's weird. It's weird because like, and I've also just, and when we were driving, it wouldn't have been anything in the car. It would have. No, not at all. No, it was just like, we were getting ready for bed and I was like, fuck, like my arm feels weird. And I looked down and I was like, 
Um, what's this? <laughs> what is that? Um, so I don't know. I don't know when that happened. I don't really know exactly when. I'm pretty sure that that's probably it. Probably showed up when we went in the basement after them because that's the only time that I can remember having any type of sensation on that part of my body when we were inside of the brothel. Yeah, because you didn't I, like like I said, you didn't mention anything really the entire time we were in there. So mm-hmm. I don't really know when it would have been aside from going into the basement after them as well. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I just I thought it was really interesting that two different groups of people had such varying experiences. I also know that like for myself, like I do a lot of like protection work and things like that, just given some past experiences that I've had. So I wonder if that kind of helped us have a different experience than a lot of people. But I'm also curious if I were to go back, would I have this same like warm, comforting feeling or will Dumas have flipped on me? Yeah. Like it could kind of go, it, it's a 50-50 draw there. Yeah. It could go either way. Because it wasn't necessarily quiet for us. Like we we did hear like some footsteps. We did have some experiences in the moment. So it's not like we were getting nothing the whole time. It was just, I just felt so chill the whole fucking time. I feel like I had smoked like the fattest blunt of like indica weed in my life. And I was just like Snoop Dogg vibing when I was inside of there. That is the best way that I can explain it to you. See, and I was like fairly calm for most of it. Obviously, like I had my thing in the basement, whatever. You got calmer the longer we were in there. I did. The more that I was in there, the more I was like, okay, not not bad. And I almost wonder if maybe because it was two women, we had no men with us. I mean, Addison was in on the first floor in a room by himself, but he was not with us. I'm almost wondering if we were going to have more of a peaceful experience because we were non-threatening because we were two young women. Who was there the most? Young women. Yes. Yeah. I do think it's interesting that the only clear EVPs we captured were male voices. Yeah, they were. Like, everything that we captured was mostly male. Except for Ruby. But if you think about Ruby, she was the madam. She would have been chatty and friendly. But the other thing about Ruby is that Ruby was very clear that she didn't want us to leave. She did not want us to leave, no. We, like, during our pendulum sessions, that's when I felt the most calm. Same. And the most at ease. We did also get a whiff of Rose in that one room. We did, yeah. Um, But, like, (sighs) it's just hard to explain, like, you know, because I asked several times, like, you know, is it okay if we leave? And we were getting no's on the pendulum. And so then I'd be like, okay, well, is it okay if we just, like, take a break from talking to you and we just sit here with you? And it'd be like, yes. So we would just sit for a while. We would just sit up there. We would kind of lightly talk back and forth and just chill and then resume the conversation in a few minutes. But, like, I just felt so calm. Like, I would love to spend more time there. Yeah. Definitely that experience was the most calming and it was the most like I could have sat there for hours at that point. I think we did. That's the problem is we didn't realize, but we did. Looking at the videos that you because you took videos of the pendulum sessions, Mm -hmm. 
they were all like 20 to 30 minutes and they 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 felt like they were like five 10 minute sessions i did not realize that they were that long we spent hours we spent most of our time sitting in those two chairs in that room talking to ruby i did not even realize Mm -mm. she just it was just so comforting it felt like you were like talking with your grandma yeah it it was such a weird nurturing feeling yeah but again two women in a brothel no men yeah two young women and it just yeah like you said it felt like you were talking almost to somebody that you knew yeah yeah it just i'm just like i'm fascinated by it now and i want to go back because like it's it's weird because i feel like it just kind of like accepted us with open arms but that is not necessarily a good thing at Dumas. No, especially there and obviously the history and things, not always the best. It's not usually the feeling. best feeling when you are investigating a haunted location. If it scares you, it just wants you out. If it tells you to get out, it just clearly doesn't want to interact with you. But when it is calming and comforting, like, and it's not, like I said, like, it's not like we had zero interaction. Like, it's not like we had zero activity. We still had a decent amount of activity. It was just so calm like sedatively calm yes it just felt i don't know like looking back on it too it feels like a dream it feels very like floating on a cloud in this seriously haunted location but it just felt so chill it did and like the more i think about it now like i didn't realize this at the time but the more i think about it now kind of looking back like there was part of me that was like i don't really want to leave no i didn't want to leave did not want to leave if we would not have stepped outside to talk to Addison and those and the group that had come in for like just to the go to the basement we probably would have been in there until the sun came up until the sun came up or he kicked us out mm-hmm. <laughs> I, yeah there was a big part of me that was like I don't really know we, bo- we both vocalized it in one of the EVP sessions I'm like I don't think I want to leave and you're like I, I don't want to leave either and so we just chilled I don't know. It felt fucking homey. And this this building is like not in great condition. No, not at all. There's certain rooms that are in better condition and they're like nicely furnished and things like that. But we weren't even sitting in one of those rooms, but it didn't feel like we were sitting in an empty room. No, it, it never felt like we were sitting in an, a really empty room. It never. Yeah, like it never really felt out of place, I guess. No. Except for, I mean, you know, except for initially in the basement, but it's a basement, so mm-hmm. it's going to have a different feeling for yeah. the most part. Yeah, which, I mean, I have a theory on why, because the basement tends to be, I mean, I guess all floors tend to have some type of malevolent, something nasty, and I have like two theories on that. Either the madams have more say in how people are treated inside of there so they can almost control those spirits and be like shut the fuck up and sit down and that's why and they liked us so they were like these girls can have a chill evening they can hang out they can vibe out whatever um i did also leave money you did i did leave money i left money in the basement in one of the cribs there's like a a few of the crib rooms have like some coins that people have left and i did put coins in two of the rooms i think yeah i think it was two i paid 50 cents i put 50 cents in each room 50 cents was the price you did 
you did i forgot about that i didn't i forgot that i put exactly 50 cents because i pulled a dollar out of my pocket in quarters Mm -hmm. and i did two quarters in one room and two quarters in the other room fuck yeah i forgot that you had done that same i mean i remembered that i left money but i didn't really put two and two together that maybe that's part of the reason we had a different experience is because i fucking paid them you did I mean, that's fine. Maybe next time I won't pay them. No, I feel guilty. I feel like I should pay them. I'm like, thank you so much. I think that, I think that was the conversation when you left the money out. You were like, I feel like I need to pay them. I'm pretty sure I did say that. I was like, I feel like I should leave them some money. <laughs> and you did. And I did. Um, But yeah, like I just, I just wonder if it kind of picks and chooses who it likes and who it doesn't like. And the other, the other thought and a conversation that we had with Addison outside was that I could because of how much I've spent investigating places and dealing with the paranormal and like the spirit realm and things like that I could possibly have some type of attachment that is more powerful than what is in Dumas and can tell it like can shut it down because when I told him about you how you were being affected and the minute you vocalized it to me it stopped yes and he was like well if you have something it could have stepped in for both of you and stepped so in for both of us and shut everything down at yeah. that point so that's a possibility us. as well yeah i do remember that conversation because we had it in depth very in depth yeah so like that is a possibility um i would love i need to find a psychic that's like good to meet with before i go back to dumas to see if that is the case because if that is the case then i'm gonna need to tell whatever is chilling with me that it needs to sit outside in my car (laughs) yeah so that you can kind of gauge what the hell's going on in this place yeah because like as it stands I'm like there's nothing bad there but I know that there's something bad there I feel like the face that I was seeing was not good the and it felt like it was just watching trying to suss out the situation and like whatever was drawing you into that room was not good no absolutely not but then 99% of our investigation was so peaceful Mm -hmm. and nice and calm and like serene. I don't know. It's like it literally just felt like we were high sitting at a beach. Like (laughs) it did though. I mean, and that's the crazy part because I did not expect that whatsoever going into this place. I expected to feel so uncomfortable. Yeah. The entire time. Yeah. And like generally places that I've investigated do you have almost that like oppressive feeling there's something that's not not chill and I just didn't have any of those like warning bells didn't have any of those like feelings like something else was like like something was like super bad or like super heavy or anything like that I just felt fine yeah and I mean I'd never really any felt anything heavy either like it was no you just felt pulled like drawn to one area yeah and aside from that like there was nothing like you said there was nothing like gloomy there was nothing oppressive there was nothing heavy at all Mm -mm. no I mean I think it's it's interesting because like If we would have done this episode and talked about what had happened to people and I would have asked you, would you go there? Your answer would have been no. Yeah, I absolutely would have said no. You would have said no and I would have gone by myself, which is fine. But you didn't know the history. You didn't know anything about it. You went in and you had this wonderful experience that was clearly there was something going on. Like clearly it was paranormal, but it was such a good, happy version 
of the paranormal, which I just think is fascinating because that is not common. But I also think a lot of investigators that go in there, especially like Zach Beggins, they kind of go in there guns blazing. Yeah, they do. They go in there a little bit more antagonizing, a little bit more trying to muster something up. And I think that kind of maybe is just like a testament to like go in with just like an open, clear mind and not, you know, just like make yourself a little more calm and maybe you're going to have a different outcome. Yeah. But I don't know. I mean, yeah. I think it, it's we both we both think it's fucking haunted. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> we but I don't think. Also both would go back. Yeah. But I don't. It's not. Most of the places that we talk about that I say I wouldn't go. It's because I get like a weird kind of creeped out feeling. But this. That's not there for me. I would absolutely go back. Yeah. But it's like it's weird that it's there for literally everybody else. It's scary for everybody. Every single person that I told that I was going to Dumas told me, good luck or, oh shit, I'd never go there. Like, you're brave. How many people are you taking with you? And when I was like, just taking one, they're like, oh my God. Like, (laughs) I don't know. I just, I think that there is something absolutely there that is not good. I do too, but we but didn't, we didn't experience We did it. not interact with it, and I don't know if it just didn't want to deal with us or if maybe something was holding it back so that it wouldn't deal with us or, like, what? Because clearly the next – the same same people were in there or different people were in there the same night and had a completely different experience and would probably never go back inside that building. Yeah, and I think that's the part that's the most interesting to me, just how different – two different groups of people's experience was at the exact same time in the exact same building yeah like as they're in the basement having this horrific experience we are vibing chilling in chairs talking about how calm we are on that third floor and talking with Ruby. second floor yeah and just chilling so i don't know i i would love to go back and I really hope that we like I can go back next summer when it is open again after the winter because I want I want to see if things are different. I want to see if things are still just calm for me there or if things are spicier. A little bit ramped up. Yeah. Yeah. And I think maybe what I'll do is like record the whole thing, like get like an actual like video like a little like camcorder situation yeah i think that would definitely be the way to do it and just see what happens i don't know it's just it's weird i've never really been on an investigation where i felt so content even being places by myself because i went into several rooms and told you to like go to a different area Mm -hmm. you also gave no shits about being by yourself somewhere else no I went to the basement by myself a couple times without you. Yeah, and I was I just... I sent you down to the basement without me. Yeah. Like... And and this is something where I usually would be like, absolutely not. But there I was like, okay. No, I would always be more down to go by myself than you would be. And neither of us gave a fuck. Yeah, neither one of us cared at all. We were just kind of like, okay, we'll kind of go into different rooms for a little bit, do our own thing, and then we'll meet back up and... And talk about it and see what, see if anything happened. Yeah. Yeah. 
I don't know. I would just love to go back in there and I would love to investigate it again and see just see what's happening inside of it yeah see it's if so anything, fascinating my curiosity is if anything changes like same if the any feelings change same I'm also curious if now that we've talked about it and we've kind of talked about everything that's happened I'm curious if I will not if I'll stop thinking about it or not yeah, I mean, the more you mention it, the more I'm like, yeah, I've definitely thought about it quite a bit since we went to. I don't think I've thought about it as much as you. No. By and any like, means. Compare that to Virginia City, where we also went and did some like mild investigatings and had some experiences. I don't, I'm not in a rush to get back there. Mm-mm. And I'm like pissed that it's now winter here because now we can't go back for a while. And that's weird. That is. And the more you're like, I want to go back, I want to go back, the more I'm like, I do too. Like, it, there's just something like pulling you back in. There's just something about Dumas. This is not me saying that all of you should you should go because you probably will not have this experience. Because I've never heard of anybody that has had this experience. I haven't either. Every person that I know that stepped inside has had a negative experience. They've all had experiences. They've all been negative. I'm the only person I know that's had a positive one. Well, you that has had a positive experience in there. Really? I mean, it sounds like Addison has too, clearly. Yes. Yeah. There's there's people that have, just not people that I'm like super close with. Well, and it just kind of feels like a consensus throughout Butte in general that people don't want to go there for the that most part. That it's fucked up. Yeah. Like people don't, they're not making a point to go yeah. to Dumas. They're making a point to avoid it. Yeah. And like even Michael, one of the previous owners, was like very afraid of that entire building. And I'm wondering if maybe that played into it too. We didn't walk through those. I mean, you walked through those doors with some anxiety, but you didn't really walk through those doors with like fear. No, I was, there was no fear. And that's probably because, you know, like I didn't know much about it. I didn't know much about the history. There was no fear. Like I was a little anxious because I had heard some things about other people's experiences, but not fear. Mm -hmm. And I didn't have any either. So I think if we would have done, if I would have told you the history, the hauntings, things like that, I don't think you would have, I think you would have been walking in with a lot more fear. I agree. So I think it's very interesting that we went in blind and had a vastly different experience than most people. Yeah. And it even seemed like Addison was kind of a little bit shocked about the experiences that we had too. Yeah. I think the minute that I told him that I just felt like incredibly comfortable, that's when he told me that like, the Dumas does two things. It scares you and gets you out or it just slowly gets its claws in you and kind of draws you in. So now I'm like, well, fuck, probably getting drawn in. But also I'm like, I don't live in Butte, so it's not I'm not a risk to like just be there all the time. No. So if I go once a year, I feel like that would be interesting to just see how it progresses. Yeah, and it would definitely be something that we could talk about and see how things have changed and just kind of like keep a little log of it. Mm-hmm. I want to do that with a couple locations. Like I do eventually want to go back to Virginia City and do the Harding House and maybe spend some more time outside the Slade House mm-hmm. because we both had experiences near the Slade House, like at the Slade House basically. Um, but my desire to go to Virginia City is so 
it's just nowhere near close my desire to go back to Dumas. I know. And you've said it a couple times. You're like, I want to go back. And it just seems like there's like almost a fire there. I, yeah. It's like, I, I like literally want to go back. I can't explain how badly I want to go back. I want to go back so bad. Like I cannot fucking wait <laughs> until I can go back. Which is a little worrisome. A little bit. But also, if something spicy happens next time, then I'll just have a great story to tell on the podcast. <laughs> yes, exactly. It'll be another long episode and you'll have some spicy details. Exactly. So I know I said I was going to do this in two parts, but I didn't. So, oh well. Y'all just get one long one. One long one. Um, But yeah, that was, I mean, that was Dumas. You guys are going to have to let us know what you think if you would go there um if you have been there yeah absolutely i am so curious um just to see it just sounds like most people's experiences there are just so so different than ours that i would love to hear them um yeah and if you do go like all the money spent is just going to go back into the building which is nice um cuz they are you know actively trying to restore it maintain it keep it open and get some more history on it. Yeah. So, yeah. Next week, we're going to take a little bit of a break because we're going to talk about a cryptid. You're giving me a break after this yeah, whole I th- uh, I thought, Halloween season. Yeah. You know, I was like, we really just like haven't had a break in a minute. I think the last break we had was in August with the Loch Ness Monster. So I was like, maybe it's time to like sprinkle in another cryptid. I like that idea. I figured. I figured you would. Well, this has been Lady in Black.